Hello and welcome to another episode of GC Stories, the series where we speak to security services professionals with an extraordinary tale to tell. We're delighted to be back for a second season with a whole new set of incredible stories from familiar voices, who not only take us through their journeys, but also impart some wisdom and life lessons for us all. Today we speak to Kate Webber, Lead Product Manager in the Fund Services Division at Northern Trust and also the founder of Women in Asset Servicing. This group was established to grow female representation across all levels of the financial services industry, including senior positions, an area of historic underrepresentation. The group also seeks to attract women to the sector, retain them within it, nurture their talent, increase their visibility within the industry, and provide them with the guidance and support to help them achieve their career goals. And today we discuss some of these goals of the association, but also look at Kate's background, some of the incredible women she has known throughout her life and how they have helped shape her journey. Now some of Kate's ideas, statistics, and observations I think will surprise you, they will alarm you, but ultimately, they will inform you and there's some enlightening takeaways from this conversation. So I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Kate Weber, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, John. You all right? I'm very well. I'm very well. I, I've noticed that even though this is an audio recording that we're, we're on webcam, we've both got uh, sunshine coming through the window. So maybe it's the start of summer for, for both of us here. Let's hope so, hey? <laughs> well, uh, really, uh, really pleased to have you on the, the recording today. Uh, I guess to start with, I'd love to hear a bit about your background and, and of course, why you started Women in Asset Servicing Group. So I guess I've had a pretty conventional life in many respects, um, with the exception that um, I lived in an old people's home when I was a teenager with my family. Um, so that's kind of unusual. My parents owned, owned the old people's home and we lived in a flat above it. And so, of course, um, as a teenager, you get very frustrated by, by the limitations of, of living in an old people's home. But also, as somebody who was studying history at A-level, I, I found it actually quite fascinating to get first-hand information from people who had lived through world wars or through the suffragette movement. I think the thing that I was always taken aback by was um, the level of this dependency that these women had on both male relatives and the deference to men in particular. I always thought, you know, they were like the first generation of women to vote. And I, and I thought that would be revolutionary. And, and yet, in many, many ways, it really wasn't. Many of those women never had a chance to get married because of World War One and the Spanish flu ep- epidemic. And they gave up work on marriage and regardless of whether they ever had children or not. And they had very low, almost meagre expectations of a career. And then when I kind of parried that forward, when I think about that, I think about my mum's generation, for example. So my mum's now in her 70s and many of her peers, um, including my mother, had, had um, careers that were in caregiving roles, like my mum was a nurse, for example, or teachers. So they had, they were incredibly successful beyond the, the generation that came before, but they were vocational type careers. And there were women who were exceptional, who, who were in different, in different fields altogether, but they came from very financially secure backgrounds, or, or they were just extremely clever. And then my generation of women, we took up the mantle from that point onwards. And there have been lots of successful female doctors across Europe, we're engineers, we're in financial services, but I still don't think there's, there's been total equality of opportunity, but there's been a huge step forward. 
And so when you look at the role of women over the last century, it's one of just huge change compared to the millennia before. But it's it's not this revolution, it's a series of stepped changes. And each generation has quite an important part to play. Um, which I guess is why, from that background, I, I, um, I started the Women's Network in Financial Services. So there are a lot of women's networks that are aimed at more senior women, but there aren't that many that look at supporting women throughout their career, no matter how far that career wants to go on an individual level. And I think the timing was important as well, because there were two things that are happening in our industry, which make women's networks in particular very relevant. So firstly, we're heading towards automation, which is really important. We need to automate. So we've done outsourcing, then we've done offshoring, and automation is the next logical step. And for margins, we have to do it anyway. And if I think about the banking industry, that's kind of undergone this revolution in the last 10 years. We don't, we don't talk about free banking disappearing anymore because we all do our own banking ourselves. We don't go into the bank, but we all do it on the phones. And, and we, we hardly ever communicate with our banks except through, through the mobile phone. And I think that's got to come to the, um, the investments and savings industry for us to continue to be both relevant and cost effective. And when I think about that, I think about men building IT systems. But that can't be the future of our industry, because the other really important thing that's happening is that our client base is continuing to diversify. And I was talking about this to one of my friends last week, Gillian Hepburn, and, and we were talking about some research that she'd come across from McKinsey and the research from the US, but it's really relevant because um, we talk a lot today about wealth transfer and we assume it's from the baby booming generation to the millennials or, or from Generation X, but it's not. In actual fact, a lot of that wealth generation is happening from husband to wife in that baby boomer generation. And what that, what that shows is within one year, 70% of those transfers from men to women, women end up changing their advisor. And that's a really big question to ask ourselves. Why do women not feel that they want to stay with that advisor? And I think there's lots of reasons, but those are the reasons we have to explore. And I think about my mum in particular. When my dad died about 18 months ago, she'd never really done anything with the finances and she found it really hard to even start. But she was, she was probably placed in a slightly better position because I'd already had a big falling out with my dad's previous IFA in 2012. So I'd already moved her to somebody that had started the journey with her. But if you don't have that background, then it's really difficult to, to carry on. So if women are now one in three, well, a third of our investor base are now women, then to me, it's obvious that if we want to be relevant to our clients, then we've got to help women to be part of the team that help this industry find solutions. So that's really why now for women in asset servicing. Yeah, and it's an amazing backstory. And I feel like when we've spoken previously, some of the details you mentioned are shocking in a, in a good way that it really you know, stuck with me. And you mentioned technology and, and you mentioned that previous conversation that technology isn't designed for women and, and you've given some no. examples there. Um, could you, could you, uh, you know, elaborate <laughs> a little bit more on that for us? Yeah, so I, I always think about Alexa. So Alexa's not really been designed for women. It's been built by men for men. 
So um, my husband's very into technology and he's kind of put, made the whole house sort of touch-free almost, which is slightly annoying. Um, which means that when I say to Alexa, can you turn off the landing lights? She's just as likely to play the lightning seeds, which really, really does annoy me when I'm trying to do something because she's not she's not used to my voice. And if that's the experience of Alexa, carry that through to something which is even more important, which is financial services. You can easily get it wrong really fast. And obviously, look at some of the details you've gone into. You, you can see it's very you know, asset servicing specific. Um, and you're really analysing a lot of things that I haven't heard before from certain groups, and, and not to say any one group, um, you know, focusing on women or equality is better than the other. But how does what you're doing differ from, say, other other initiatives such as the Thirty Percent Club and in what you're trying to achieve? So the Thirty Percent Club is really important because the fact that boards are really important feature of well-run organizations and having a diverse board is really important. So creating targets around boards and helping senior women prepare themselves for their opportunities is really key. However, not all women are going to end up on boards. Not all men are going to end up on boards for that matter. Not everyone has the talent or the mindset or the desire to sit on a board. But it doesn't mean that those people who are not going to end up on boards aren't important. And it doesn't mean that just having well-rounded teams on boards is going to make our industry relevant to our customers or our clients. So what's important is that we think about the whole of the industry going forward. The other thing I've noticed about a lot of networks is they focus on things like flexible working. So they talk about um, working families or return to work options. And they're kind of valuable, but I think they fail to address the real reason why a lot of women aren't choosing to push forward on their careers while they're literally getting stuck in that early middle management levels. Um, and I think there's three things that we need to think about. And, and I'm, um, you have to bear with me because there's, there's a lot of generalization in these three things that I talk about. First of all, I think that women are not nearly brave enough in their career. I think a lot of women get stuck behind their comfort blankets and they can literally end up smothering their own careers. I think bravery comes in all different sizes. Bravery can be putting your hand up in a team meeting right the way through to saying, yes, I'm going to present in a, in a meeting of 30 people. And bravery means different things to different people. But if we don't start helping people be brave in small ways, then how on earth can we expect them to be brave in big ways? Secondly, I think women are pretty poor assessors of their own skills. So I'm sure lots of people in our industry have interviewed often confident young men who, who don't even possess the top five skills that I called out on the, on the job description. And then at the polar opposite, there are women who are so right for the role, who say, I can't do number nine, so I won't apply. And, and the point is, if you don't apply, if you don't put yourself forward, then you can't get the job and your career can't progress. So we need to actively help women take risks. So they, they self-hinder themselves. And then finally, the other thing that's really important is networking. So um, I don't think women are very good at this, which is um, kind of surprising when you think about how we hold families up or we, we keep our personal relationships up way better than some of our male family members. But when it comes to work relationships, we just get stuck. 
Uh, and we don't we don't always allow for the win-win aspects of of work relationships. Networking is a kind of game and we just need to help women get better at it. So that's what that's what we're in servicing is striving to do. It, it's it's saying that not everybody needs to be a CEO, but we need to help you to be the best of what you can be. And that's how we introduce topics and ideas to help our members get to where they want to be. So we create events that are around the ideas that you can be different. Um, so an example, our, our latest event was run by Emma Berwick and it was about NEDs. Um, so we have this idea in our head that a, a NED is a 70 year old white guy who's who's leaving work and is retiring and wants to do something to keep him out of the house or off the golf course. Um, and yet what people really want from boards today is something much more diverse. Um, and so introducing these ideas to the membership is really important. Amazing. I, for for anyone, whether it's uh, a woman or a man, listening to this and and thinking, wow, I can't, I can't believe kind of Kate's said that and said that women are good at this and aren't good at that. But you know, do you think to some people it's, it's surprising for you to be kind of so honest and upfront about it? Um, you know, is that refreshing? What kind of reaction do you, do you have when you have these conversations with, like I say, either men or women? I think a lot of people um, say, yeah, they agree. We're all a little bit politically correct in the world. And, that, and that's important to be mindful of other people's feelings. But if you don't call something out for what it is, then you can't actually change it. Um, if you don't say women need to be braver and help them become braver, then how are you going to change anything? Absolutely. I guess we all have our blind spots as well, don't we? Um, yeah, I do. You know, not that <laughs> much. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it, it helps for, for either someone to, to, to point it out or to say some people have this. And, you, know, you may be good at networking, you may not be, but if... If no one ever kind of asks, then um, perhaps you won't have that conversation and grow as a person. So um, I think it's fascinating. I think it's really an amazing initiative. Um, so when you when we were talking before as well, you, you mentioned, again, something I hadn't thought about before, but some organisations, you know, we, we deal with a lot of uh, very large organisations at Global Custodian, so we're talking about you know, major financial institutions here. They present themselves in a way that maybe some people don't see, maybe they don't even see it themselves. How, to, to you, how important is it in the way an organisation presents themselves to the world when it comes to you know, encouraging women to, to either get into this space or further their career and, and take an, another job at some of these organisations? And, and again, I guess we talk about blind spots. Is, uh, is there kind of blind spots from organisations in, in that regard? Genuinely, people believe that their culture is fantastic and I think the pandemic year that we've just gone through has called has called cultures into question quite a lot I think culture is one of the most important attributes a company can actually have and I talk to a lot of young women both inside and outside of this industry about culture indeed for me one of the most important reasons I joined Northern Trust was because of the culture of the firm and it's massive. It dictates whether your face fits or not. It's part of the written and unwritten rules. And the unwritten rules are probably more important than the, than the written ones. And being in a supportive culture early in somebody's career is absolutely fundamental to their long-term success because it builds confidence. And, and you know, they, frankly, 
they 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 feel that they're able to achieve. Um, and when I talk to a lot of young women, including sixth formers at schools, they're really quite savvy about culture, much more savvy than I ever was. Um, the young ones, the, the good ones, really do their research. They because they have the information that's accessible to them. So I've spoken to a few senior executives about um, their window on the world, their website, and ask them what they think it's saying to potential recruits. And pretty much all of us these days, when we look at a firm, we go to the About Us section. And there are an amazing number of our organisations where there are more people called John or Paul on the website than there's anybody who even looks a bit like me. And if you don't have anybody who looks like the applicant, that's that's not a great start. It tells these women exactly what they can expect from that relationship. So that sets the precedent for a start. And then they choose not to they choose not to apply. And it's not just about websites, it's about things like um that sites like Glassdoor, where they can go and find out what a what a culture is really like. So cultures can't just be that thing that sits that that thin veneer that sits across the top it's got to, it's got to be real it's got to be experienced and I think if you get your culture wrong the quality of the applicants will diminish and as importantly the the, the people who want to stay in the firm that you're in um that diminishes as well you can put all the hard work and effort into a single woman but if she feels isolated in the firm eventually she's going to jump ship because she's not going to want to be there anymore and so I think one of the most important things that firms need to think about in the coming years is role models. Role models are just so important. They're about helping to solve this diversity and inclusion crisis. And it's about helping to create a culture that you want to be in. Um, the thing about role models is they're not supermodels. I mean, I, I might think that I would look amazing in a jumpsuit, but, you know, I'm only five foot four, so it's very unlikely to it's very unlikely to work for me. Role models have to be realistic, and the position that they, they hold today, that's got to be attainable for somebody, because otherwise they're a supermodel, and, and that can't be a position you can get to. In fact, supermodel role models can be more off-putting than, than not, if that makes sense. So with, in terms of role models, if we've kind of almost got a, a deficit of, of women in senior positions, is it okay like, at the moment? You know, I feel like maybe a lot of the initiatives have only been a recent thing in the industry. Do you think it's a case of, of getting, um, you know, just ensuring there are more women on panel discussions, uh, conferences, more women you know, from the organisations being featured in, in, in news stories on multimedia, things like that? Um, to have that representation there. Yeah, you have to have women who have actually got something important to say. There's no point just having a woman on the panel because you're ticking a box. You have to have women on the panel who, who have something relevant to say to the audience, where, they, where you feel that that's what you aspire to be. Role models don't have to be only the people at the top. They can be people across the whole organisation. They can be champions of culture. They can be people that you can aspire to. You can have role models who are team leaders, who help the people that come underneath. Um, so it, it's not just about women at the top in panels. It's about, it's about the opportunity for people to see role models. 
for a wholly new, different light. Um, there's an interesting book by a friend of mine called Fiona Murden, which is about mirror thinking, and it covers this in quite some detail, and it's really interesting to look at. So, I, mean, I feel like you've mentioned you've mentioned everything from school to the very senior positions. Do you yeah. do you assess it and just think there's actually points to be addressed throughout this this entire chain yeah. that that maybe haven't been as, as in focus? Yeah. So I think we've always looked at you know women and we've looked at women in senior roles, and I think that is important. It's important to create targets, but you also have to create targets that sit beyond just women in senior roles. You have to understand that not all of us are going to get to the top. That doesn't mean that you're not relevant, you're not valuable to an industry whose customer base is broadening. And if we think about the relevance to the industry more than anything else, if, if, if three in 10 of our investors are actually women, there's no point just having a few women at the top. We have to have them throughout the organisation. We have to have way more women advisors, for example, in this country than we have today. So people like Liz Field and Cynthia Poole, they're doing a grand job of trying to encourage women into, into that frontline position where they actually are relevant, making savings and investments relevant for people by, by putting people in front of them who actually look like them, feel like them. That's super important. There's another point about diversity, which I think gets really lost in the conversation. So we, we always focus on physical diversity. So we, we talk about women uh, or gender, or we talk about people part of the BAME community or LGBTQ. What we don't talk about is the way that people think. And not everybody thinks in the same way. So for example, I might have a different social background or I might have a different work experience. All of those things are really, really important to the future inclusion of a workforce. We never talk about, for example, extroverts and introverts in workforces particularly. We value extroverts in our organisations, um, highly valued them. We admire their decisive leadership um, to make the decisions that we want. And then we want them also to be great presenters, champions of causes. And not all of those attributes naturally fall into the, that, that one individual. So what if ex introverts are way better decision makers than extroverts? What if introverts think really carefully and deeply, and then they think about all of the unintended consequences of a decision? And they might be slower decision makers, but they might be better decision makers. But what if those decision makers are then really awful at presenting or they're really lousy champions of a cause and presenting breaks them out in a cold sweat you don't necessarily get the best outcomes from having all of that into what you know rolled up into one person so potentially within teams we should think about combining good decision makers with good champions of causes people with broader spectrums of not just physical difference but thought difference that might be that might be a really good thing for us to properly develop inclusion across the industry yeah that's an ama amazing point do you, do you think that the roles are there now to accommodate for those people or is, is it a case of creating new opportunities and new positions i think we'd have to evolve over time i think you would also have to trial it so the thing about introverts sometimes is they can be more slow decision makers 
And sometimes the pace of change is so fast today that it may not feel like the right thing to do. But then sometimes making a, the wrong decision when the pace of change is so fast may, may actually make it feel that it's better to have made the right decision in the first place. It may be that introverts want to sit behind the scenes and be there, but not necessarily be the face of an organisation. We expect an awful lot from our executives. But you know, we've read a lot about how the, the pandemic has changed the situation for women in, in financial services and a, a, a range of sectors. So has it, has it, approached the, has it changed the approach for, for your women in asset servicing group at all? Hmm. So twenty twenty has been about two things, hasn't it? It's so one of my friends called it the year of hindsight because twenty twenty vision, and it kind of is, right? Um, so first of all, there was the pandemic. So we all sat at home. We started working from home moderately successfully. I think we've all had our bumps along the road, but actually, amazingly, a lot of our firms have managed to keep going and doing things in a way that we would never have anticipated doing a year ago. Um, I think different members of our teams have struggled. So if you live on your own, it's very hard. I think some younger people who are in shared accommodation or have just don't have that access to the nudges, the creativity, they, they've really struggled. And I think in the short term, quite a lot of women have struggled with the combination of work, childcare, worrying about their elderly. Um, that's been hard. But I think also it's been quite heartening to see a lot of couples decide to share so so what they've been saying is you know both my husband and I work we need to share the workload I'm going to adjust my hours accordingly um and I think that's positive because it means the future of work then childcare isn't isn't about women's issues it's about family issue and there are some men I've spoken to have actually really enjoyed the pandemic period because they've actually got to know their children really well they've actually got to spend time with them in a way they have never done before but I think we have to acknowledge that our industry is, is you know, it's, it's, it's come through the pandemic pretty well. There are a lot of industries that haven't, and the pandemic has been a bit of a big divider. So we always talk about being in the same boat, but not really. Um, some of us are on lovely super yachts, and the others, other people aren't really on super yachts at all. They're on life rafts. Um, and there are a lot of kids for whom Zoom has been a real struggle. School Zoom has, hasn't been possible because they haven't had the right kit. And if we want to encourage greater diversity in our industry, we've got the other big thing that is, is suddenly going to create a problem. The other thing that happened in 2020, which for me was bigger, was um, Black Lives Matter and the aftermath of um, the tragic death of George, George Floyd. And I think the reason why it hit me so hard was because I was seeing a lot of anger and pain in friends and colleagues from the BAME community. And, and it made me rethink about women in asset servicing. And it made me realise that if we didn't think about it differently, we were in danger of replacing what's described as pale, stale and male with just pale, stale and female. And that's a bit pointless because we're all middle class with pretty much the same life experiences, just different genders. So we do need to be more inclusive and we need to figure out how we can bring a wider set of people um, into, into our industry because we sure as hell don't have all the answers ourselves. Um, since 
um, since the start of the year, we've also been joined by the Embark Group. So they've become our supporters for women asset servicing, which is great because they're going to build us a website and marketing and they're going to help us with our events. And I kind of feel a bit more professional as a result of having the Embark Group with us. because So that should help enormously. But 2020 has also seen loads of men reaching out into the network and wanting to be part of it. And that's great because we have this, this thing where men can sometimes be seen as the enemy and, and they're really not. They, we don't need to ally against them because they're just as interested in diversity as, as the rest of us are. And they want, they want to help drive this forward. So I think that's really positive. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for those points. We, we, we finish off each episode with, uh, with three questions um, we ask to everyone. So uh, the, the first, and I'm incredibly interested in this, is uh, who from within security services or asset servicing world has, has inspired you? Um, so I would probably call out Anne Roughhead as one of my many influences. And the reason I think about Anne here is because um, I remember very clearly a very pivotal meeting. Um, I was working for a TA in one of the outsourcing groups and Anne was um, a COO at City and the decision maker effectively about whether to appoint us. And I can quite remember, quite distinctly remember thinking, God, there's a woman who really knows what she wants. So she's in charge, but she's not a wallflower. She's not aggressive. She's just comfortable in her own skin and about the decisions that she was making. And I thought, I want to be like that. Amazing. Thanks. And where has inspiration from outside your professional life come from? Well, I find this question really hard because I don't know about you, but my, my choices, when I was thinking about it, my choices are a bit lame or a bit passe and, and um, I keep finding my, my inspiration keeps moving on. Um, so I was thinking about, about this, and I think about my 14-year-old teenage daughter, Anya, and her pals. And I drive them, I haven't done this so much lately, I drive them from place to place at the weekends, from netball to gymnastics, back to school or whatever. And I listen to their chatter, and they're so indignant at the world. And they're extremely passionate about equality. And Anya introduced me to the book Noughts and Crosses, which was just amazing. And so they're very into the idea that um, the power of words can, can wound people. And they're very in touch with their feelings. And I, I sometimes end up arguing with them in the car about the importance of freedom of speech. And yet what I think about those women from my childhood who were so differential to men, and then I replay it with my 14-year-old and her pals, that whole century has just been transformed. Women, girls, 100 years ago would have never talked about those things. And so I think maybe we're in quite safe hands, if not slightly indignant hands. Brilliant. Thanks, Kate. And, and finally, the last question would be, what would be the biggest life lesson that you've learned that you'd like to pass on to others? When I worked at PwC, one of my bosses told me off he, and, he, and he gave me a quite rightly um ticking off because I was in a I was I was being a right pain in the neck I was in a really bad mood about a decision that I didn't agree with and um we had a talk about the power of presence both not negative and power and positive presence and how each one of those negative or positive presence could ha could have an impact on the whole team around around me and it had a really profound impact on me the really funny thing was, well, 
when I mentioned it to him many years ago, he didn't remember talking to me about it at all. So whilst it had a profound impact on me, he just didn't remember it. And so I came across this quote a few years ago, and I really liked it by Maya Angelou, where she talked about, I, I think the quote goes, I've learned that people will forget what you say or forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. When I told my daughter, Anya, that I would include that, she told me I was very, very cheesy. Um, and she's probably right. But I think it's really important. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. I, yeah, I, I feel like this has been such a great conversation. And, and I don't say this to many guests, but I, I feel like your answers are, are truly unique. Um, I think it's been amazing that you've, you've kind of referenced both people you learned from when you were younger, but also that you're kind of learning and, and inspired by people from the next generation as well. So it, it seems like a per- the perfect person to be in charge of this uh, Women in Asset Servicing group, if I may say so. <laughs> Thank you. Very kind. Yeah, well, um, yes, well, look, I, I think that's that's a really um, enlightening conversation and uh, I hope people are kind of inspired and learn from this. Uh, if, if anyone wants to be involved in the group, could you just tell us a little bit about how people can be involved and um, you know where to find out some more information? So at the moment, as I said earlier, we're having a website built by the Embark Group. But in the meantime, if you want to get involved, then just find me on LinkedIn. I'm very accessible there. And then um, I can just join you onto the LinkedIn group. And once you're in there, we'll put you on the distribution list so that you can come to events in the future if, if you want to do so. Um, luckily, we're a growing network. So there's about five, 500 of us all told. And we just keep keep growing. Eventually, we'd like to sort of surround it with mentor groups and 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 help for other things. But um, if anybody's interested, everybody is welcome. Okay, uh, just just thanks again for for the conversation and for being so kind of open and honest. And I, I really think this uh, this chat and the messages you put across are really going to resonate with our audience. So uh, thank you very much for being part of the show. Thank you, Jonathan.